Yeah, and now we're talking motor vehicle accidents. Have you ever been in a major car accident? Well, that's the, the topic of, uh, of our discussion this morning. A new study says that one out of five people involved in a car crash is actually too shocked to call emergency services. Now, this is a really worrying, especially if it's in the middle of a busy road. And uh, we've got some experience of that in the studio. Nonny of the uh, ARN News Centre shared her experience. Unfortunately, I have been in a car accident and I did experience shock. Uh, I wasn't the driver. Uh, I was a passenger. Uh, I kind of went into this strange mode of trying to organise everyone and make sure everyone was okay. And then soon as, as soon as the emergency services turned up, I just kind of, <laughs> not collapsed, but just sat down and the shock really hit me because I didn't have to organise everyone ever, anymore. Um, but no, thankfully, no one was seriously injured, but it did have to be reported because it did block a major arterial road. Uh, and no, the driver I was with was not at fault. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of us can relate to, um, whether it be here or, or wherever we might be in the world. Uh, now, we've got uh, OnStar. It's a company that is owned by General Motors, and they conducted the study with the Road Safety UAE through quality focus groups with uh, regional survivors of accidents, both drivers and passengers, because it can be just as traumatic for those in the passenger seat as well. Anxiety and shock were called out as the most prominent emotions in a car accident. Uh, to give you an idea, two out of every three respondents sought someone to comfort them and calm them down. Some respondents reported being unconscious or physically unable to call for assistance. And 22 of 46 study participants sought professional medical support for reassurance and to provide the necessary aid during uh, during the emergency. Now, I'm joined in the studio this morning by Shireen Harris, who is the head of subscriptions for OnStar. Uh, good morning, Shireen, and thanks for joining us in the studio. Good morning, Damien. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. I am a big fan of, of, of OnStar. I've, I've, I've kept an eye on it for, in the United States and mm-hmm. my homeland in Australia, and now it's so good that it's here in the, in the region. Um, and I'm glad you're here to tell us a little bit more about uh, the study. Um, what, firstly, what was the purpose of, of the study? At OnStar, the safety of our customers is really at the heart of everything that we do. It's really what the brand stands for. So it only made sense to partner with Thomas Edelman from Road Safety. Know him well, yeah. Yeah, and we say we are technology backed by the human touch. So that human-centric approach is really key to our brand. So we actually did the study to get behind the emotional impact. What are customers really feeling in that moment? And we heard from the uh, listeners as well. And what would they like to have? What what do they need in that moment that can really make a life-saving difference? And also what's really important is the first responders because they are so critical to arriving on the scene and being able to help. So we wanted to make sure we get under the layers of that and truly understand it so that our human support can really give that superior experience. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great service that, and it's a really interesting study that, that came out. Uh, how did you conduct the, the survey? How, how, how's the, the parameters? And- yeah, so we really wanted this to be a qualitative study. So we went for an immersed session. So we spent about you know an hour with each of these um, accident victims, and it was drivers and passengers. Um, and so it was, you know, really trying to make them relive it. I know it's a traumatic experience, but, Mm. you know, the more we learn from that, we can help other passengers. So it was really qualitative. It was over 46 respondents uh, that we spoke to, a mix of male and female, different nationalities, um, and really 
you know, like I said, peel back those layers. Yeah. Did, did the findings shock you at all from, from what some of the respondents came back with? I would say, you know, some of it was what we already always know, you know, the reasons for these crashes. But, you know, what really was a great takeaway is that anxiety and shock came out as the top emotions. But what that drove was that they are unable to make a decision in that critical mm. moment. And that's what takes away from, you know, actually the, the whole uh, situation. And then even when we talk about um, you know, two out of three wanting someone to comfort them. A lot of them did say that onlookers helped. You know, they do get that kind of help, but they were really seeking some promo- professional help uh, so that they could just get that reassurance, you know, make sure their family is safe, call their family and, and stay on the line with them. Yeah. Yeah. Till someone comes in. So those were interesting nuances that came out. Yeah, because it is a trauma situation. And you do go into a survival mode, don't you? You, start, you think like your world closes around you for that moment right. and you don't make some of those critical initial calls to emergency services or family or friends or, yeah. or whatever. It's, it, I find it actually worrying that in a way that a fifth of all people in car crashes uh, don't even do that. They don't call emergency services. I mean, it's apart from being incredibly dangerous, you can't blame fault on them whatsoever because I say they're going into a survival mode mm-hmm. you know, mentally. But it's a dangerous situation, isn't it, when you, when you don't make that call? But sometimes you can't make that call, Damien, True. Yes. right? You, yeah. People told us they were unconscious. And, you know, in that situation, you're really hoping something else works for you. Uh, so one is really... You know, they spoke a lot about the tech that could help them in those situations where they can't call for help Mm. or they're trying to reach their phone, but they can't access it. You know, you're pinned back. So tech does help. That did come out. But also, yes, calling emergency services, you know, just I wish it was as simple as pushing a button and, you know, getting that help. Yeah. I mean, as I say, it's such a traumatic experience. It stays with a lot of people for a a long time. and it all comes into, as you say, with the technology, technology side of things now with vehicles being connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking about connectivity in vehicles and how it benefits drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you tell us how, what connectivity looks like in, in these cars? So, you know, I look at connectivity like you, it's a smartphone on wheels now, right? Yeah, it <laughs> You're is, actually it is driving indeed. around yep. with cars that can handle, you know, four terabytes of data. So... Um, what this actually enables in our Chevrolet, GMC and Cadillac vehicles is that your car can call for help, even if you can't. So that itself is a major thing in terms of crashes. We also have functions where the car can diagnose its own health. So mm. you can be on top of things to pre- even prevent a crash in the future. Um, connected cars also offer a lot of remote functions. So, for example, if emergency services are trying to get into your vehicle, someone can actually help assist that even if you can't. So there's a whole range of, uh, you know, benefits that a connected car brings and we just need people to activate. Yeah, and you have the SOS button on the car. How how does the SOS button work? So just in case it's not a crash and your car hasn't called for help itself, uh, it could be any other medical emergency in your car. It could be a flat tire, roadside assistance. So you just need to press the red SOS button Mm. And immediately you're connected to an OnStar advisor 
who can actually help put you in touch with the right people. Yeah. So that's how we offer the service um, here at OnStar. Fantastic. And it's a live person too, which is great. I've, I've experimented with it. It's a great service um, that, that General Motors offers with, with mm-hmm. OnStar. You do get in trouble, push the button, you speak to a real person, and they sort you out straight away. Um, and find out, as you say, find out whether you're conscious or not to start with and <laughs> organize the emergency services for you. That's Shireen right. Harris, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're head of subscriptions at OnStar. And uh, it's been a, a pleasure to have you in, in the studio. Yes, Motor Mania with you. And we're talking about road accidents, road trauma uh, as a result of this survey that's been that being conducted by Road Safety UAE with OnStar about uh, survivors of road accidents. And uh, it is really an, an alarming uh, an alarming topic that uh, that we're, we're describing now, but people, how they react and how they deal with this situation. And I'm happy that we've been joined on Microsoft Teams uh, by uh, Britta Lang, again, who's uh, come back to join us again. Um, Britta Lang is an automotive psychologist uh, currently in Germany, but has worked uh, a lot about road safety projects in uh, in Dubai. And we're going to look into the long-term effects of car crashes on both motorists and passengers, as one in five people in a car crash is actually too shocked to call emergency services. Firstly, good morning, Britta. Thanks you so much for, uh, for for joining us again. Uh, does that number shock you? Hi, good morning, Damien. Uh, it's great to be here again. Um, and no, that number doesn't really shock me. I think um, many studies have shown that um, trauma from resulting from road accidents is, is a massive problem for people who have survived the accidents. But um, uh, uh, the, the psychological impacts um, of those road accidents can be quite severe. Um, so I think uh, Road Safety UAE study has highlighted um, a topic uh, that is that is very important and that needs to be addressed. Yeah, now you spent a lot of time in this region. Um, what what kind of major accidents have, have you seen in the UAE that, that particularly shocked you? Maybe the style perhaps that you, you won't find in other parts of the world or, or others that you just simply do but you saw you saw them here? Actually, sort of the pattern of road accidents is is very similar in most countries. So a lot of um, accidents have to do with due uh, care, driving without due care and attention or driving whilst being distracted. So if our eyes are not on the road and we're engaging, for example, in texting or checking our mobile phones, uh, then we lose sight of the most important tasks that we do have on the road. And uh, as a result, we might have a crash. Similarly, I think what is also a very big risk is sort of driving when fatigued. Uh, those accidents tend to be very severe because as we fall asleep behind the wheel, we are not aware, we can't reduce the speed before the crash. And that means that the impact of those accidents is uh, tends to be a lot higher. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, microsleep is a, is a big issue where you, you're not off literally for a, for a millisecond. And in that time, you've traveled 40, 50 meters if you're, if you're doing, you know, highway speeds. Um, but, but also, as you say, being, being distracted is a, is a major issue here with obviously people being, in, you know, uh, enticed to, to get on their phone or text. We say it so many times on Dubai Eye every day, every hour. Please only do it when it's safe to do so. Uh, what could be some of the, the long-term effects of, uh, of being in a road crash? 
So those effects have been um, investigated and uh, they tend to include things like anxiety, depression. It can even lead to post-traumatic stress syndrome, which is in, uh, which forces people to re relive the trauma again and again. There can be physical symptoms such as headache, nausea, dizziness, um, sweating. Um, so, so kind of a long-term anxiety reaction uh, that results from that accident, even as long as one and a half years after the actual accident. So mm -hmm. it's serious. It's, it's a serious um, issue that that needs to be taken care of. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about too. Some people are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and they're still carrying on with their lives and trying to start uh, you know, driving again. How can you get around that kind of issue? Because that's we're talking pretty heavy situation now. Yeah, that's very true. And um, I do think that people do well if they get uh, professional support. So there's things that there can be, depending on, on your particular situation and particular needs, there can be behavioral therapy, for example, done by a psychotherapist, um, or it can be in an individual setting or in a group setting. But um, I would advise people who experience those um, concerns to, to, to seek professional help. Yeah, and of course, you're, you're one of these people. You've counselled uh, car crash victims, I guess. Well, what, what have you found so far? Well, um, I'm, I'm more of a researcher, so I've, I've, I've collected the data on sure. the car crashes and um, uh, and the effects. Um, but uh, but I do think it's people need to be vigilant, um, and and they shouldn't just carry on and expect that life will sort of return to normal. Um, so. I would advise that very often in those situations, it's important to speak to, to your family members about it, to your friends, and see if you can handle the stress uh, resulting from the accident yourself or if you need to go further and sort of seek medical medical support as well or psychological support. Yeah, we had... We had Matthew Davison on in the first hour discussing his uh, his life threatening uh, situation that that thankfully he got away from and and he's uh, he's all well and good again uh, many many years ago um, and he was saying that he had just had to get behind the wheel just had to get get straight back on the horse as they say and mm -hmm. keep going. Is it possible that you can get back behind the wheel and and still suffer suffer from trauma? Um, and, and how would you how would you address that? Uh, that's actually a big, uh, big issue as well. Sort of avoidance of of that situation because it's kind of panic-inducing as you do, or you you have such strong anxiety around car driving or, or vehicle driving that you just don't want to get behind the wheel again. Um, so, so you you um, you have a phobia of driving, and again, it is possible, and it's very it's it's. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, it's possible to to, to do something about the avoidance and about the phobia. Uh, there are very successful formats, for example, where you can train um, those situations, those accident situations, in the driving simulator, or where you can step by step get back towards getting into the car and dealing with uh, the anxieties and the physical symptoms of the anxiety, like the sweaty hands, the dizzy head and and those things, and sort of slowly, slowly build up your your confidence in the car again. Yeah. Now, we, we just had in the studio, too, uh, Shireen Harris from, from OnStar uh, talking about connectivity. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you see connectivity and, and the future development of, 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 automotive, of, of automobiles as as the solution or one of the solutions? It's a very important um, element of the solution, I think, because um, what happens in the situation of an accident is that we feel helpless. Uh, so it happens to us and we're exposed to a situation that we have no control over. 
and human beings don't react very well to the loss of control. Um, so in a situation where you have had the crash, that availability, that knowledge that um, a call, your vehicle is making a call to the emergency services and help will be on the way can be a big booster of, well, um, of, of the sense of, of being taken care of. And I think that has really big value for the people experiencing that accident situation. And connected cars by by means of technology of being able to send that, make that call and get the emergency services on the way is a very, very um, helpful thing. In mm. fact, um, the EU has introduced it in 2018 in all of the passenger cars, new built passenger cars and um um, light goods vehicles and the UAE similarly have in, um, uh, introduced legislation in 2021 to do the same thing. So enable your car upon impact to send a call to the emergency services. Yeah, I think I think it's a fantastic initiative. With the development of cars and the amount of stuff that's going on in sidecars, you say you know, as we're talking before too about you know people being distracted by text messages and 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 what's going on their phone and their, their streaming music and all these kind of things. Um, the the development of the car now is moving in such a direction that firstly it's simplifying things but there's also giving opportunities to cram more into the car do you think this is going in the, in the right direction <laughs> um, of course that that is a big issue and uh, if you as long as we uh, continue to conventionally drive and are as the driver in charge of the safety of the vehicle we should refrain from allowing ourselves to be distracted of course, once we move towards automated cars in such a way that the vehicle is the driver and we are simply the passenger, we can engage in other activities as well because we don't have uh, to monitor uh, the driving anymore or to take control back from the car. So this is the future vision where we basically can allow ourselves to sleep or read the paper safely. Hopefully we can still have time for a little bit of driving, but as long as we focus and we, we do it properly, because uh, a lot of us still enjoy the driving, but it is a, a, a mechanism that involves two hands, two feet, two eyes, two ears, and a brain, and uh, and that's one thing we must all keep in mind. Whenever we get behind the wheel, you can't just sort of treat it as if you're uh, it's an extension of your coffee lounge or whatever. <laughs> well said. <laughs> but uh, uh, Britta Lang, um, thank you so much for joining us again, automotive psychologist. Uh, I hope um, summer is kicking in in Germany over there, but you have obviously a, a good affinity with, with the UAE and Dubai's roads, and uh, thank you so much. We'd love to have you back on the show next time. Always happy to, to help. Thanks, Damien. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania. On Dubai I 103.8. Yes, Motormania with you right and through until midday. And we've still got a lot more coming up in the show before we round out. There's been a lot of new cars that's being launched in the UAE market right now. Despite the fact that there is shortages of uh, supply issues, they're still rolling them out. Just you might have to wait a little bit longer for that one. Uh, recently, I've been uh, getting around in the Maserati uh, Levant Hybrid we'll discuss in, uh, in the next program. Currently uh, driving the Infiniti QX55 um, SUV, which is also an interesting one. Just picked that up yesterday. But one of them that's been, uh, that was launched last week is the new Nissan Pathfinder. And uh, it's, uh, it's a uh, mid-sized four-wheel drive, very popular here in the region. Complete uh, overhaul. It's a brand new model. And uh, it, it's, it's moving up market a little bit. So I managed to catch up with their regional managing director, Thierry Sabah, uh, who is the managing director at Nissan Middle East. And uh, before we talked about the new Pathfinder, I asked him about how these soaring oil prices have affected their business. 
we understand today there is a, a new crisis. Uh, we are yet to see how this is going to impact uh, on this region. But uh, working with our partners, listening to our customers, will always put us in a position to anticipate uh, the challenges and work around it. We need to accept that there are challenges. We're going to be successful in certain actions and probably less. But the focus is always the same. You mentioned in, in that conference there earlier uh, some impressive figures for the last year. Was it 17.7% sales up last year? Uh, overall, the region, I would okay. say around uh, 10%. Okay. But then from market to market depends. Uh, in the UAE, between UAE, you have around 17 18%. Uh, uh, the same also for Bahrain is a bit higher and, and also Kuwait was around 37% yeah. increase year on year. So tell me how we're here for the new Pathfinder. Um, it's, a, it's an important model for, for Nissan in the region. It's a very popular model with, with everyone here for, for so many generations. We've had a little bit of a hint of it because it shares the platform with Infinity with the QX60. has been very well received. Tell me about the, the Pathfinder and what, can, what do we can expect to see with this new, new car. Yeah, I, I think uh, the first point, this is its first generation. It's one of probably the longest nameplate we have uh, in the region. This is a car that really is bringing a, a completely a new way of driving comfort, luxury, premium, uh, off-road, on-road capabilities. It includes all the suites of Nissan Intelligent Mobility Technologies. It is quite rugged, but it's back to its roots because it has been quite, Pathfinder has been always known for being a, quite a, a solid uh, vehicle and delivers on really great uh, or different terrains uh, in the markets. We have uh, uh, quite a, a good engine, powerful engine, delivering 271 horsepower. We have a completely new transmission uh, that also enhanced the, the performance by, by 30%. What I find particularly exciting, nine-speed automatic, so the, the CVT is, uh, has, has been replaced with this one, which means probably a little more off-road ability with this car, which I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into soon. Yes. But also, too, 3.5-litre V6, it was brought up in the conference as well, uh, no hybrid, Nissan has a, a defined future of electromobility. Tell us a little bit about why there's no hybrid and, and, and where Nissan is going. Yeah, when it comes to electrification, Nissan has been a pioneer. Back in 2010, we were the first OEM to bring a mass electric vehicles that is the LEAF, and today is one of the best-selling cars in the world. And uh, recently, we also launched the Nissan Aria, and for the first time, we reveal it at the Expo 2020 Dubai, which we are the official automotive partner. And this was really a great platform for us to bring the connection between us and the synergy between us and Expo 2020 Dubai about the future of mobility. Today, the two technologies that we are really relying on and Nissan is really pushing forward is definitely the electrification and also the e-power, which is a combined technology, which is new technology. And we are working on our cycle plan for the region taking into consideration uh, the infrastructure uh, that is available across the markets that we, we are representing, uh, and also making sure that every product we bring has a top-notch quality, same as we do. We do a lot of testing in the region, uh, and then one, once we are confident 100%, that is the moment that we will launch uh, the car. Yeah, that was uh, Thierry Seba, the Managing Director of Nissan Middle East, and I caught up with him last week at the launch of the new Nissan Pathfinder. As you said, it's one of the longest-running nameplates in the region. It's a very popular car here, so therefore a very important car here. But it is stepping up a little bit, moving into the more luxury sector as it moves into becoming a dual off-road and on-road vehicle. Uh, had a very good look at it. It's um, uh, We've got a bit of a sneak peek into where the Pathfinder was coming uh, a few months ago because I had 
had a look at the Infinity QX60, which is the same platform. So it uses the same powertrain. It's the 3.5-litre V6, as Thierry said, 271 horsepower. It develops 341 newton metres of torque. Now, that's about 30% more than the previous one. But as I said in that interview, one of the things I'm really keen on that I liked about it is that they've, they've installed the nine-speed automatic transmission to replace the CVT, the constant variable transmission. Now, the reason I like that is because it does allow it to give it a bit more off-road ability. The CVT, not really the most it's, – it's great for efficiency. It's great for fuel economy, but probably not the most durable transmission. So, uh, you know, it's not something I'd really be keen on to take off-roading too often. So the, they've gone to the nine-speed auto. I think with nine speeds, you're still going to get amazing fuel economy, but you've just got a, a, a proper torque converter automatic transmission to help you along there. It's an important model for the region, very popular here for so many generations. It's got Nissan's uh, Intelligent Mobility Technologies suite of uh, of, of infotainment uh, technology. Um, so, you know, it, it is lifting it up a class from, I think, from, from where it was before, but uh, still a very solid vehicle and um, it should be uh, able to handle the terrains that we've got around this region for sure. Still waiting on absolute confirmation on prices, but I believe that I'll be kicking off at around about 145,000 dirhams. So that is the Nissan Pathfinder. Of course, you can expect, I'm guessing, maybe some supply issues before you can actually uh, put one in your driveway, but they'll certainly take your name and number and put it down the order as with uh, with everyone at the moment, with uh, with vehicles at the moment. Now, one of the other things... I've been talking about on this show as uh, we're stepping now into electric electrification again, range anxiety, and that keep it, it's keeping people away from driving vehicles at this stage. Now, I was having a chat a couple of weeks ago with uh, our very own Tom Urquhart from the Business Breakfast, and uh, he's got a case of range anxiety. It's a fear that you uh, that your car will run out of battery power. He was uh, testing a uh, bor- a borrowed a car from Volvo and an EV, and uh, this is what he had to say. My issue is the recharge. It's more to do with EV technology, and I equate it to to like driving a mobile phone. And by means of that, I mean the fact that all I'm doing while I'm driving is watching the battery life on this thing. <laughs> yeah, you don't look at the petrol pump uh, you don't gaze at it uh, knowingly or wonderingly because you're pretty confident that you're going to find a petrol station at some point uh, on the road he makes a valid point you know you, you do stare at the gauge in an, in an electric vehicle and you do get anxiety and yet you're going to uh, get a, 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 at least half a week's driving before you need to recharge and if you've got recharging facilities at the office or, or at home you shouldn't really get anxiety but as Tom says if you're out on a long trip and uh, you can't just simply go down to the garage and buy five litres of gas and walk back to your car on the side of the road it's a little more complicated than that um, and that's where I found out something else very interesting. The guys at Kafu are working on a solution for this. Uh, as you know, Kafu tops up your car if you need it. Well, they're now working on a, on a similar solution for EVs. Now, this was at a recent event. Um, the company's chief product offer, officer, Nuzhat Nawid, uh, said that they were working on a solution We have an initiative going on at the moment in Canada, actually, where we are working with the government and some industry leaders around providing mobile charging solutions and smart, very fast mobile charging solutions for electric vehicles. So we know, particularly in North America and across the world, that infrastructure for um, charging electric vehicles remains a challenge. And we also know that range anxiety is a real thing and will likely prevent the adoption of EV. Our solution is really 
really out there to kind of get around all of those expensive infrastructure challenges that are there to present a consumer-centric solution. You'll be able to order for your electric vehicle to be charged at the push of a button on a digital app and it's completely contactless. So there you go. It's a short stop solution, but it would get you out of a of a problem. Uh, and I'd be I'd love to know: Would you then would you consider an EV if there was a, a car food for EVs that could come and rescue you if you were stuck on the side of the road? She was speaking at the uh, the, the Italian Pavilion at Expo last week, where they were talking about future technologies of the automobile, and uh, we had a lot of fascinating guests who were taking part in that. One of them was the uh, car sharing platform eCar. Now they've just launched another service in Abu Dhabi's Mazda City and get this it's with Tesla um, Andrew DiFrancesca was talking on the day he is the sales and business development manager at eCar and this is what he had to say about their new association with Tesla vehicles in Mazda City what uh, our partnership with with Mazda City it's actually um, we we touted as uh, first globally it's actually the first car sharing uh, program which had used Teslas so believe it or not before that no one had used Teslas for car sharing uh, so with Mazda City within the region we had uh, tech enabled uh, five Teslas where customers can book that uh, by the minute by the day or by the week and that really was a start to the commitment of using EV vehicles for the car sharing program but I just want to back up a bit. Uh, I also want to just consider car sharing as a concept is also provide some sustainability. There's uh, research out there to show that one car sharing vehicle can remove 10 to 15 vehicles off the road. 90 plus percent of the time our cars are not being used. So think about all of us in this room right now. Uh, we're probably here for an hour, two hours, three hours where our cars are parked in the expo parking lot. Uh, so if these were all car sharing cars uh, or even what we call resharing cars where you own the car and can reshare it and someone can book that car, pay for it, uh, and then you can either get that back or book a new car to go home. Yeah, that was Andrew DiFrancesca from eCar. Of course, we had eCar in the studio a few weeks ago talking about that resharing concept where you can put your own car up for uh, for hire that someone can borrow. And uh, fascinating uh, discussion going on about all things to do with uh, with uh, mobility. eCar, of course, is absolutely one of the world's uh, pioneers in that technology, born and bred right here in Dubai. And it was at the Italian Pavilion. Now, the Italians, of course, you cannot think about Italy without thinking about supercars and beautiful styling of cars from, from designers such as Batoni and Pininfarina and etc. Zagato. But it's also the birthplace of Lamborghini, Ferrari. Um, the country is also taking major steps now to ensure that cars of the future are also more connected. Now, a connected car is a car that, uh, that, that can communicate with external systems. And this is far-reaching. This goes so, so, so deep into where this, this can go. This allows the car to share internet access and therefore data with other services both inside and outside the vehicle. It could even get to the point where you can geofence areas for public car parking. You want a street-side parking area in a built-up area? You can do it with one of these in the future. That's that's where it's all heading. Now, Elisa Vanini is a researcher for the Connected Car and Mobility Observatory at the Politecnico di Milano, and she says that Italian municipalities and startups are collaborating for a far more connected automotive community. 
Roundy Block is one of the uh, Italian startups that we uh, collaborate with, and um, they uh, managed to integrate in their platform both IoT technology and artificial intelligence to help the whole uh, parking slots management uh, to become much more efficient, even the payments uh, and the possibility to identify uh, parking slots in a much uh, easier way, uh, thanks to this kind of technology. So it's really something that would benefit uh, the, uh, each, each uh, any kind of city, really. There are uh, startups that are collaborating with the municipality in Turin or in Milan that also uh, deal with the sustainability by placing uh, maybe some uh, sensors, uh, mobile sensors on carriers like DHL. This is the case of SenseSquare, for instance. Very nice project developed recently uh, in, uh, in Sicily. They actually managed to build a smart city block where to test not only connectivity on board vehicles, but even communications between connected vehicles and smart infrastructures. So it's something that can happen actually even in small uh, touristic cities uh, in, uh, in south uh, of Italy. Yes, that was Elisa Veneni, researcher for Connected Car and Mobility Observatory at the uh, Politecnico di Milano, and uh, talking about the future of where the automotive industry is going. Of course, Italy is one of the world's uh, leaders and, and uh, around the automotive industry. As we know, they're very much so with, with supercars and sports cars, but also mainstream cars, and now they're looking ahead to the future. So uh, really interesting discussion there with the guys from the uh, Italian Pavilion at Expo 2020 this week talking about all of that so uh yeah we're going to keep an eye on more to do with connected vehicles in the coming episodes of motormania fix it or flip it so what is it well it's simple tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth we need your details about your cars match as much details as you can so that's the make the model the year the color the mileage and send them to 4001 or via the arn play app and uh, on the line as always is matthew davison good morning matthew Good morning, race fans. It's race weekend. I'm oh, looking forward to it. I really am. As uh, we kicked off yesterday in in Bahrain for practice one and two, and uh, yeah, it's it's rolled. Ninety six days we've waited for this one since the the cliffhanger in Abu Dhabi. Look, it feels like yesterday we were chatting on this show going into the the final race of of last season, and we were both saying we had a feeling it was going to be dramatic and. Uh, <laughs> It certainly was in every way. That's an understatement and a half, isn't it? I mean, it's kept in the news. The ratings, the TV ratings for for, for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix were actually higher than the Super Bowl. So uh, that gives you an idea. And, uh, and of course, um, the uh, the Drive to Survive series, hugely popular around the world through Netflix, and that's, uh, that's uh, kicked along the audience as well. So looking forward to a big weekend this weekend in Bahrain. Yeah, and, and uh, you know we won't get too much into F1, but just what a balanced field this this season. I mean, uh, it's good to see Ferrari back being uh, competitive. I think they'll give uh, Red Bull probably a run for their money more than Mercedes even. But you know, it's early days, but Mercedes. You know, I saw that video of Lewis Hamilton bobbing up and down. Uh, it didn't look great. So let's let's. I'm sure they'll improve pretty quickly. But at the moment. Ferrari and Red Bull seem to be the teams to watch. You're a clever man, Matthew. I've got my eyes on exactly the same guys. I'm going to keep an eye on Ferrari this weekend. But uh, but let's let's get back to uh, to today's main topic, and that is uh, at the other, totally the other end of the spectrum: car accidents and uh, how it's affected um, and how it's changed the way we approach our driving. Now, you've had some experience in this. Tell us about uh, tell us about your experience, Matthew. 
Yeah, uh, unfortunately for me, when I was younger, 25 years old, I was involved in, in a, you know, a serious a car accident as it gets. I was in the UK. Um, I crashed uh, on a motorway um, doing 80 miles an hour, which in, in kilometers is around 140. So it gives you an idea of the speed. And it was a it was a summer's day, actually. And, and um, it was about eight o'clock at night, still sunny and bright in, in June in the UK. And there was a, a flash thunderstorm up ahead. So the road was dry and suddenly it became wet and all the cars started sliding and and uh, the car in front hit its brakes, which you're not supposed to do when it's wet. And I veered into the central reservation and got flung across um, up the embankment through a, a, a fence and the actual fence came through the windscreen and into my body. Um, mm. And I was stuck in the middle of a field um, and the ambulance just got there before uh, I died. It was uh, quite horrific. And... I ended up um, being in hospital for a month in intensive care for two weeks. Um, oh, so yeah, it, it, it was it was a very very difficult time. Um, and you know, one of the things that I got as advice from quite a few people was, don't leave it too long before you get behind the wheel, because you you are massively affected when you you're in such a such, such a big car accident. And I did take that advice and being a car guy and growing up around cars, I want, you know, I, I wanted to, but I think if I didn't get back into the car quickly, and when I say quickly for me, that was about two months after the accident, because for the first month I was in hospital, of course. Um, and, and it was very difficult those first few days being behind the wheel and getting flashbacks and stuff, but mm. um, it, 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 it changed a lot for me because I think if I didn't get behind the wheel, uh, my life might have been very different. But the one thing I didn't do, and I probably have regrets, is I didn't seek any 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 psychological help. And I think, you know, it was a long time ago, you know, 20 years ago, but I think the stigma is, is, is gone now for getting that type of help. But I think I needed it and I didn't get it. And even up until today, I rarely talk about what happened. And, and even today, it helps to talk about it a little bit, I suppose. Um, but I would say to anybody, if you are ever involved in, in some kind of serious accident, number one, um, it, isn't, it isn't as scary to get back behind the wheel as you think, and you need to do that sooner rather than later. And, and definitely talk to people, go and, go and book some therapy and, and talk about it because um, it will help you in the long term. Yeah, I mean, absolutely uh, very, very good advice. It does jar you. It does take you a while to get back behind them. I've had a similar, well, not similar to that, but but I can can relate to that. Um, uh, many, many years ago, I, I, I collected a pedestrian, and, and that was something that really scarred me for a long time. I, I, you know, was super, super conscious about my surroundings around me. Um, there were mitigating circumstances as to why the pedestrian was on the street. I was in the, I was the innocent party, that's for sure. But, you know, it takes you a long time to get over that, and you're right, you know, you Getting that, getting that help, that psychological help, and and talking it through is a big. Thing. And again, same thing. It was many years ago. It was long before you know there was a stigma attached to to all that kind of uh, you know mental therapy and help. Um, probably would have gone a long way back at the time. But you know, you're right. You've got to get back on the horse, so to speak, and you've got to get back out there. And uh, it's the only way to get around it. I mean, uh, we got a text in from from Mina who said her uncle in Lebanon never has never worn a seatbelt until he crashed his car. His entire family were hurt, but he he was the one who suffered the most injuries. Uh, now he limps when he walks and rarely drives. You know, so it's not uh, it's certainly not an uncommon thing out there. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, on, on that subject, please always wear a seatbelt, um, and if you have children. Please make sure they're in their seats and they're restrained as well. There's nothing pains me more than 
than seeing children loosen a car or, or worse. And, and this has got to stop hanging out the window or the sunroof. Um, but one, one additional thing I would say is, look, if you do see an accident on the road, and some of them are, unfortunately are pretty bad, please don't take your eyes off moving forward. Don't look at the accident. Keep driving. And there's two reasons why. You don't want to see what possibly could be there. That, that can affect you. And the second thing is you're not helping the situation rubbernecking and, and trying to gawk at what's going on. So, uh, you know, please, please just keep moving. Focus on what's ahead of you. You don't want somebody going in the back of you or you'll go in the back of somebody else. And, and certainly yeah. do not look in the direction of the accident because sometimes there's stuff there that you really don't need to see. Absolutely. And, and you're right. Please always wear a seatbelt. And it's a, it's a personal bugbear of mine. Like you say, when I see children un- unrestrained in a seat in a car or sticking their head through a sunroof, I just really want to pull that car over and have a strong word with the people. It, nothing ticks me off more than seeing uh, kids running around freely in a car as it moves along. But, uh, but anyway, we're going to be discussing that a little later on in the program. Uh, but right now, the text lines and the, the calls are still Starting to flow through, and uh, straight away we've got uh, Mohammed on the line who has a 2008 white Land Cruiser. It's the V8 uh, with quite a lot of kilometres on the on it, though. Uh, good morning, Mohammed, and uh, welcome. Tell us about your Land Cruiser. Because I have a nine, 2008 uh, Land Cruiser eight-cylinder, top of the line, hundred percent maintained by the Alfa team with perfect service history. Not a scratch, no accident, but it has 363,000 kilometers. I would like to know how much it is worth today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Matthew, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty solid, dependable one. White V8 Land Cruiser, you, you can't go wrong there, but how, how would those kilometers affect it? Yeah, uh, we, we say this often on the show. These are the type of cars, Land Cruisers, that can get away with the higher kilometers. I mean, it's not incredibly high considering that is now, what, a 14-year-old uh, yeah, car. Um, so that is actually not a disaster. I mean, if it's top of the line, it's the VXR. That car would still probably sell for forty-five to 50000 um, maybe even a little bit more because there's not a huge amount of inventory in the market at the moment. Um, but, you know, what's a real selling feature there is, is full Toyota Alphatane history. I mean, that means that car has been looked after over those 14 years. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good car. So, Mahana, it seems like kilometres is not uh, a, such a big issue for you. You've got uh, a bit of a gem there by the sound of it. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. Thank you very much. And uh, do what Mahana has done. Give us a call, 04871 uh, Jorge has texted in. Jorge has a uh, 2019 Mitsubishi Montero Sport GLS. It's grey. It's done 100,000 kilometres uh, with a few scratches on the, on the side. He wants to know to fix it or flip it. Um, I, I, nothing to fix, hopefully, on that car. I mean, the Montero, it, it's, it's a funny car because I'm... You know, you, you naturally see it as a replacement for the Pajero, but they sort of ran them side by side in different regions for a while. But, you know, now it's clear it's, it's the, the, the replacement for it. I think with those kilometers, you're looking around 90 to 92,000. Yeah. Um, but that, that is going to sell, that is going to sell pretty quick. I don't think you're going to have 
major issues moving that car. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. Uh, Mark has also texted in. He has a 2016 Audi RS3 hatchback. Oh, I do like those. Uh, it's silver with 95,000 kilometres, pristine condition apparently, with brand new tyres and discs have been replaced as well. He wants to know, one, is it worth selling? And two, how much? Um, if it's in Nardo, great, then I'll take it. I love that car. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, probably around now, um, you'd think it'd be worth selling a six-year-old car with nearly 100,000 kilometers, and psychologically selling it before the 100,000 will help. But obviously just putting new tires and discs on makes you kind of also want to keep it. I think realistically the value of that car is, with, with the work that's been done, is around 135, 140. Mm. Um, in fact, I think, you, you know, if it's a nice color, you probably will get 140,000. But, yeah, it's a difficult one if you just spend some money on it. But if you did move it, there wouldn't be huge competition in the market. There's not many around. And I think 140,000 is where it would be. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, 95,000 kilometers, not a huge amount. And it sounds like he's already taken a hit with, uh, with, with spending a bit of money on, on the maintenance. Um, so, yeah, it's a tricky one. And likewise, if it's Nardo Grey with a bit of black carbon fiber, give me a call. I like them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Ayush has, uh, is also, he's, uh, he's been talking about our topic of the day. He texted in, he said, he's never been in a car accident big enough to experience shock. Uh, two minor taps in heavy traffic only, just anger at how reckless people are on the roads. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. I think a lot of people in, in Dubai can also relate to, uh, to to minor incidents out there on the roads. But uh, it's the anger management. That's the thing we've, you know, everyone has to keep under, under control here. Uh, Andre has also um, texted in. He's got a 2019 Toyota Avenza. It's an SC white, uh, 65,000 kilometres. Yeah, I like the Avenza um, mainly because of the price point. I mean, it's it's affordable to get into it, and then you've got that reliability that, that Toyota just gives it here. I mean, um, price wise, I think you're looking at around forty thousand to forty two thousand if it's the SE. Um, you may get a little bit more in the market. I mean, they're, they're, they're not quite a minivan, but I think if you if you can picture it out, um, they're not they're not a million million miles away from it. Um, so they're quite desirable here. But yeah, I, I think early 40s, that should move that car. Fix it or flip it. That's how it works. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it is worth. And uh, all you need it to do is send us as many details as you can about the car. The make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send it to 4001 or via the ARN Play app, Valuation Guru Matthew Davison, who is busily working away there trying to give us as much information as he can. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sort you out on the value on that. Now, right now, we've got Adnan, who's been on the line for uh, holding over those brakes. Thank you very much, Adnan. You've got uh, a couple of cars, interesting cars there that you're looking to, uh, to, to maybe sell. Yeah, I am. I was just looking for the prices, how much it would be in the market today. Okay, so you've got a 2004 Toyota Land Cruiser first. Uh, tell us a little bit about that one. Uh, okay, this is a basic model, uh, and uh, it's driven about 260,000 kilometers. Okay, so um, uh, what, what size engine? Is it's a, a six-cylinder, eight-cylinder? Six-cylinder. Yeah, it's six-cylinder. Yeah, six okay, Matthew, what can you tell us about this one? 2004, yeah? Yeah, yes, 2004. Black. Yeah, so very desirable with the older shape. Um, there's not huge amounts out there now, um, the 100 series Land Cruiser. You know, you'd be surprised 
that you'd probably get late 30s, maybe 38 to 40,000 for that. It's just the shape that's desirable. And, and they're not bad kilometers as well for that age of car. You know, we're, we're, we're a couple of years away from its 20-year anniversary. Um, but you'd be surprised. Don't short sell yourself with this car. I would probably put that car out there at, at 39,000 and, and try and stay quite close to that price. Do you think if I keep it longer, will I be able to get more out of it? It will turn out to be a classic car later on. Uh, well, the, the thing is with these cars is that there's not a supply of them, is there? I mean, it's it's uh, a couple of series uh, behind now. So they're you know, every day, some are being um, retired. Um, and, you know, the, the, the numbers will always decrease. I mean, it, it's not going to go up massively in value, but it's, it's certainly not going to depreciate that much if you kept it for a couple of years. You just need to maintain it and stay on top of it because that's what's going to keep it desirable. The kilometers aren't bad. But uh, to answer your question about keeping it, I would say you could at least keep it for two or three more years and, and the price won't massively change. There you go. And, and the other car you have is a 2017 Honda Accord, I believe. Yeah, uh, black color, full option. And it's driven about uh, 50,000 kilometers. Okay. Is, it, is this the coupe or, or the four-door? Uh, it's a four-door. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so the 2.4. You're looking at around probably late 60s, I would say, 68 to 70 for that car. Um, but that that is a car again. You won't have too much trouble moving um, the the Honda Accord, particularly one around five years old. Is at that price point that people can get their hands on it. So, yeah, if you did want to sell late sixties, and that will sell pretty quick. There you go, and then how does that all that all sounds? Hopefully, uh, it's going in your favour. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. We're going straight now to uh, Craig. Now, Craig, uh, you have an, an Audi Q3 2015, two litre. Uh, that's the 170 horsepower model, I believe. Um, what are you looking for with this one? I'm looking to sell it because I'm leaving Dubai after 27 years. So I've got to, got to get rid of a lot of stuff, <laughs> as you can imagine. Cars on the list. Um, so yeah, so looking for I mean I don't know I mean total looking around different price um, sales sites and anywhere between thirty grand and forty three grand is what I've seen for that that car and that model. So what am I looking for? I don't know anywhere around the thirty five to forty if I can get it. Okay, and it's it's got about one hundred forty thousand k that run. Yeah, just done its full service just as in just uh, two days ago. Oh, cool. Okay, so what do you think, Matthew? Uh, that one Q three two thousand fifteen two liter. Well, I'm sad Craig's leaving us after twenty seven years. We. <laughs> We, we like the, uh, the veterans here, so sorry that you're leaving. Um, in, terms of, in terms of selling the car, do not, do not tell anyone that you're leaving. That's, uh, that's going to help you get beaten up on price. Um, I don't think the price is that low. I, I know this car and I know the market uh, quite well at the moment. I think you can add a, a, a couple more thousand dirhams onto that. I think you may even get early 40s for it. Um, Right. You know, I'm talking about you selling it yourself out on the popular platforms like Car Switch. Um, you're going to get early 40s for that car. If you if you chop it in at a cash line company, of course it's going to be 10,000 less because they'll make some money, and then the dealer that buys it that needs to sell it has to make some money. So, you know, early 30s if you're selling it to a cash buying company, early 40s mm. if you're selling it yourself or getting a managed service like Car Switch to sell it for you. 
Oh, okay, yeah, that was going to be another question. No, with with me leaving, I'm in no particular hurry at all. I'll be maintaining my visa for another year. I'll be back with the Fords all the time, so I can keep the car if I want to. It's just a case of will I sell it or not. That's the decision at the moment. So, well, yeah, I won't, you're, I won't you're in a market that. where we, we've got a fundamental issue with supply in used cars. So, and, and actually, you want to sell this before we we get too deep into the summer. We know uh, Ramadan is coming. Um, yep. And I think after Ramadan, the market will slow down a little bit as we go into summer. So either sell it now or maybe if you need to use it a bit longer, wait till the winter, something like October, November, um, right. and the market will pick back up. But certainly if you're going for it now and you want to, to sell it yourself or get a managed service, you're looking at early 40,000s. Right. And I was looking for the managed service too. That was when it was, was going to be another question with respect to car switches and doobizzles and all those other sites that are that are popping up in the last six months to 12 months. Yes, so, yeah, so how I'll, they I'll work is them. they'll take a small fee, but they'll manage everything for you. So they'll, they'll answer the yeah. phone, handle the viewings, do everything, which might be ideal if you're busy with other things. Cool. That's great. And I really appreciate the, the segment. And your knowledge is unbelievable, mate. Unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. <laughs> okay, then. Well, good luck right, on the move, Craig, and uh, we're always sad to hear about long-termers leaving, but uh, all the best. <laughs> okay, then. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Bye. Uh, Bye-bye. And so now we've got uh, Mona, and uh, Mona has uh, uh, needs to change the tyres on my Range Rover. How do we just decide which tyres work best for your car? Good morning, Mona. Good morning. Good morning. So you're up for a new set of tyres for the Range Rover. Um, my advice, firstly, is check the check your book, um, your your, your, uh, your handbook, and make sure, firstly, that it follows the exact same spec of tyres that you've got on the car, uh, and then you can start going from there because they're speed rated and there's various other things you need to keep an eye on for a legality reason as well. So um, you can start with there, Matthew. What, what what what's your advice when it comes to looking for for new tyres? Yeah, I mean, each manufacturer has a different recommendation. You know, you'll see some some manufacturers for Bridgestone, Bridgestone, Pirelli, Michelin. But one thing I always say when it comes to tires, don't shortchange yourself. Always go for a branded tire. And what I mean branded, I mean Pirelli, Bridgestone, Michelin. Um, You know, I I know there's alternative cheap uh, Chinese and Korean tires out there. But just think about this for a second. You've got a few inches of rubber on each tire that's the difference between you and that entire car in the ground. Um, mm. This is where you don't want to cut corners. Yeah. I mean, by all means, you know, cut corners elsewhere on the car, but not on tires. So a branded tire and preferably um, one that's recommended for that car. Yeah, Mona, I forgot to ask, what, what, what is the, what's the details with your Range Rover? What model is it and what are you you're looking to change the tires for? Um, it is the HSE. It's been, uh, it's about 62,000 kilometers and it's the first set of uh, tires that I'm going to change myself, you know, since I bought the car. Um, and exactly this, I just got, I mean, of course, I will go through the manual and look for the size and everything. But it's just the different brands that are available that kind of confused me. Should I go for the Pirellis or should I go for the Michelin or the Bridgestone? Uh, yeah, I mean, how do you decide which one is better? Do you go well, for recommended by the uh, company? Look, look, you, you, look, there isn't a right or wrong answer there. I mean, it's, it, to make it easy for you, I mean, first of all, the tire size is written on the tire and even the date is written on the tire. You can see it on the side of, of the tire, so that may help you. But in terms of answering your question, as long as it's a branded tire, as I yeah. said, like a Pirelli, Bridgestone, Michelin, 
they're, they're, they're all going to give you slightly uh, a different experience because of the tire compound, but they're all going to be very safe, reliable. Um, and, and that's that's the way you need to think about it. I mean, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go too deep into it, uh, but just don't. This is where you don't want to cut corner. And you can shop around. You know, Google, go on to tires.ae. Uh, you know, all these aggregating sites that can get you the, the best deals for tires as well. So that that will help you with with your choice in terms of but what, also, what the price point will be. Also, too, if I can chip in, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Shop around. Look at those brands and the old caveat. Uh, firstly, buyer beware, and also if it looks too good to be true, it is. Um, applies very much so. So because there are, believe it or not, there are some unscrupulous people um, who who actually sell uh, tyres that are branded with the big names, but they're not actually the big names. So if you see a Pirelli or a Michelin or a Bridgestone or whatever that is remarkably cheaper than the than than, than the average, I, I'd stick with the average. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. And, and you know, I, I don't want to sound uh, like this, but when, as a woman, when you go out to buy, there are people who just assume that you don't know anything yeah. and uh, they want to sort of come and help. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this, this armed with this information, I think I feel more confident to just go out there and ask the right questions. Absolutely. Thank you for your help. Absolutely. Well, I hope it, hope it works well for you, Mona. Fix it or flip it. Yeah, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. That's how it works. What we need to do is we need for you to help us out with that, with the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, anything else you'd like to tell us about your car and send them to 4001 or via the ARN Play app. And Matthew Davison will do his best to help you out along with uh, my meagre help as well. But in the meantime, Craig, good morning, Craig. You've got a pretty tasty car there that you're looking to uh, looking to perhaps sell or just get a value on. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, well, I'm actually looking to sell it. Okay, so it's a 2021 uh, Chevy Blazer RS. 2021 Chevy Blazer RS, beautiful car. I mean, basically brand new. It's 11 months old. It's four years of uh, warranty and extended service still left on it. Yeah, and I'm and I'm looking to sell it too. Brilliant. So uh, it's the RS version. Uh, you've got a, that means you've got a few extra tricks on that. You've got the sunroof, I believe, um, and uh, yeah. you've got the Bose speaker system, memory seats, the seating cooling. So yeah, and kilometres wise. Uh, what, what have you got there? 16,545. 16, yeah, leather seats, um, remote start, uh, lane assist, cruise control. It's pretty much got everything. Wireless charging, wireless Android Auto and CarPlay. It's a beautiful car. Brilliant. Well, Matthew, what do you think about this one? This sounds pretty tasty. I think Craig's just sold it on air now. I know this car. It's a very cool crossover. Um, if it's the RS, it's got the dual clutch. It's got the all-wheel drive and all those other features that you said. Yeah, um, I would say around one hundred and thirty to one hundred thirty-five thousand in the market right now. But uh, out of interest, just my personal interest, why are you selling it so soon? Yeah, um, same as the other Craig leaving the country. All the okay, Craigs so are I, leaving us. Jeez. Um, <laughs> It's an exodus of Craig's today. <laughs> One of my close friends here is called Craig, so I hope he isn't going to call me later and tell me he's leaving. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I think you, you, again, don't mention that you're leaving. Um, yep. This car, probably the advantage you've got with this car is that people looking for a new one will have a, have a wait for this car. There is actually a facelift coming for this car in 2023, but I don't think we'll see them on the road here till maybe even 2024. I don't think that'll affect right. you too much. If you want to move it quicker, yep. maybe put it at 129, something like that, make it very, very competitive. But just, just if yep. you know, somebody asks you, you can say, look, 
I, I bought it, but it's, it's slightly smaller than I need being a crossover. I need a, a full-size SUV. You know, it's, it's a white line, but you, you don't want to say that you're leaving because that's, yeah. you're going to get beaten up again on the price. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, and I sent through, just while I go through, I sent through another one, which is a 2017 Ford Mustang GT Californian Special. Ooh, okay. Yeah, what, what year is that? 2017. Uh, 2017, yeah, with 44,000 kilometres. So that's, that's about 4, 420, 430 horsepower, roughly? 430 horsepower, yeah. That's the one. Again, another beautiful car. Uh, and you, you bought it from the dealer here. It's a GCC car. Yeah, yeah it's a GC, yeah. GCC. So it's still got a year to go under warranty and service. That, that needs to be right there um, at the top of your um, advert because these are, uh, I've talked about this a lot, these are plagued with um, a lot of US um, X-crash damage cars coming into the market as well. So yeah. GCC is, is yeah. very important in the headline. Um, my feeling is around 150K. Um, yeah. you, may even, you may even get a little bit more than that in the market right now. I mean, if you've got, if you've got a bit of time, Maybe try it a little bit higher at one five five, but I think my gut feeling is that's going to sell for around one fifty. Okay, brilliant. All right, excellent. Thanks so much. Appreciate your help. No worries, Craig. And uh, likewise with the other Craig. Uh, good. Sad to hear you leaving, but good luck with the move. Thanks very much. All right. Cheers. Take care. No worries. Well, we got a text in too from uh, from from. Uh, we did have a text in, but uh, we we've now got. Let me see. Um, Raymond has a 2018 Suzuki Grand Vitara. Is it texted in? That's a sport black with 37,000 kilometres. Yeah, you, you don't see a lot of these out on the market here. No. Um, but from, from my point of view, uh, certainly when I was growing up in the UK, there used to be a, a, a lot of them around. We have lost Matthew on the line for the moment. A huge there money we go. here. There we go. We got, you, we got you back, Matthew. Just lost you briefly. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was just saying I, I don't see many of them here. I used to see a lot of them in the UK. I, I think that car's probably around forty-five, forty-six thousand in the market right now. But it's a two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just that car doesn't get enough exposure. So I, I, you know, I'm always worried that not too many people are looking for them. Um, but yeah, if you did sell, I think that's the price point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a big morning for Audis, I think, because we've got Jean on the line. Uh, good morning, Jean. You've got a pretty Hi. nice TT, I understand. I have a beautiful TT, TTRS. It's um, getting old. It's a 2020. Um, but it's beautiful. Excellent condition. Fully maintained. Quite high mileage. Manual gearbox. Yeah, we're not in a rush to sell it, but uh, maybe leaving in a couple of years' time. So I want to work out what's the best thing to do with it. Okay, Matthew, uh, 124,000 kilometres on the TTRS. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, that was the car, wasn't it? Um, now it's been through a, a, a couple of um, iterations, but yeah, at the time, that was a great car. I, I think the issue you've got is, is it's not worth taking it with you because, uh, uh, you know, the, the cost of moving it, and I, and I just don't, I, it's not, it's not going to be classic enough to justify moving it. I think if you sold it, um, I think my feeling is it's going to be early 30s, something like 32,000. Um, okay. But it, it's, it's certainly a car that you could um, continue to drive here. Uh, and, you know, when you come to sell it, I think you need to get out there in the Audi forums. This is a, this is a bit of a different approach to the, the normal route of selling a car. Maybe uh, get onto the Audi owner's Facebook page and just say, look, I've got a... Um, 
a TTRS and uh, thinking about moving it on. And, and that'll be a good place to sell it because you'll get the love and appreciation in those groups. Right. Okay. Brilliant. How does that sound, Jane? You happy with that? Um, yeah, I, I feel it's worth more, but it's, um, yeah, I, I appreciate it's not, like I say, old enough to be a classic classic. But, uh, yeah, I'll go with it. Thank you. Brilliant. Good luck with that with that one. Uh, Ollie has uh, has texted as well. He has a, a Pajero 2012, 60,000 kilometres. He's the third owner. Uh, it's got a few scratches. He's being honest about it, um, but it's been serviced regularly and looking for a price value on that one. Well, we're never, ever going to get through this show without talking about a Pajero. Um, it's the staple car of the, of the UAE, along with the Dyna Cruisers and the Patrols. Um, always going to get good money, um, even as a 10-year-old car now. Early 30s for that, something like 32, maybe even as much as 34,000. Um, uh, we know that they've stopped making them now as well, which isn't, isn't going to... Uh, affect the used car prices uh, anymore going forward because it's still a desirable car. But yeah, I would say 32 to 34. Fix it or flip it. So tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. How does it work? It's so easy. Just we need the details of your car, as many details as you possibly can give us, but especially the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN Play app or just give us a call, 04871 as a lot of people are doing this morning. It's a busy phone uh, connection coming through this morning. And I'm joined by Matthew Davison, who is busily working away crunching those numbers. And we're going to take a few more calls and texts, and we'll see if we can uh, do a decent speed quote this week. And if you didn't get here or get your car mentioned, it'll most likely go into the speed quote, where Matthew's got 60 seconds to price as many cars as he can. But that's... Uh, that's still a, fit, a little bit away, Matthew. Don't worry, it's fine. Because at the moment, on the line, we've got Rosh. And uh, Rosh, thanks for waiting over the break. Uh, you've got an American spec 2010 Sky Blue V8 top-of-the-line Ford Mustang. Tell us a little bit more about this one. Hey, guys. Good morning. I've just been sat in front of my apartment listening to you guys for the last 15 minutes. So I love your show. Ah, thank you uh, so yeah. much, man. I have, I have a Sky Blue uh, Mustang. It's... It, a V8. It's an American spec, uh, but it's a manual version of the car. Uh, it's still the older version, which is the. It's not the 5.0. I think it's the 4.2 or 4.3. But I was wondering how I, how I, how much I could get for it on the market. What do you think, Matthew? Uh, morning. Um, you, you know, everybody that listens to the show knows this. Uh, I'll always speak my mind, and I'm, I'm, I'm always worried when I hear American spec cars because. I know that nine out of ten of them have been a previous total loss. Actually, you can check this yourself in the simplest way. Take the chassis number and Google, just put it into Google, and most of the time it will show you the, the, the damage from the U.S. when it because that's the requirement there. They, they put it in the public domain. So I have to price it based on what I think, and, and because of that, I would say even though the kilometers are quite low, that car's probably worth 25000 in the market right now. Um, but for anybody listening that's thinking of getting an American spec car, don't put a deposit down or, or even consider that car until you've, you've, you've Googled the chassis number. There's a top tip. Um, but, yeah, 25 k for that car. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. I also, I also have a Honda City, a 2014 GCC spec. It's run about 80,000 kilometers. It's, a gray, uh, it's gray in color, and I was wondering what uh, I might expect for that. 
but that's a, that's a different car and you'll be pleased to know that that's probably going to be worth a little bit more. Um, I would say around 30,000 for that car, but there's never enough cities on the market. They're just small little cars that, that everybody just wants to jump behind and, and you've got that Honda reliability. So um, I, I'm saying, you know, around 30K for that car combined, you know, you've got yourself 55,000 that can get you into something new if you um, wanted to uh, sell both cars. Yep, sounds great. Thanks, guys. Uh, that was all that I could ask for. Brilliant. Thank, thanks very much, Rosh, and I hope it uh, goes well for you. Now we're switching to two wheels and Pavan. Uh, Pavan, tell us about your Harley Davidson. Hi, guys. Good morning. How are you all? Hope all going well. Very good, Pavan. Perfect for uh, Saturday I morning. I listen to your show and big fan, especially take time to you know, uh, know around the motorcycles and uh, cars over in UAE. So uh, anyway, I, I own a uh, Harley-Davidson Street Bob 2012 model, denim black color. And I bought the bike in India. I am the first owner and uh, I shipped the bike here last year. Uh, and it's in my name, only registered in Dubai RTA. So just wanted to know if I sell, I mean, what will be the resale value over here in this market? What do you think about that? It's, it's uh, 2012, did you say, uh, Harley-Davidson? Yeah, 2012. Yeah, yeah. 12. But in India, all, all Indian specs. It's completely uh, built unit, uh, like they call it CKD. Okay, Matthew, what do you know about uh, the bikes, the Harley Davidsons? Well, my name is Davidson, so <laughs> you'd expect this, this part to be really, really great. And I'm going to tell you the opposite. I, I, I know nothing about bikes. I've never been involved in bikes um, oh, I since I was a young age. My my father um, lost a very close friend on a bike and just banned me and my brothers going anywhere near bikes. So I can say that I know nothing about it, um, but I can, I can tell you how to sell that or how to get evaluation. And that is definitely, if you're not already, join the, the Harley-Davidson um, club here. Uh, the Facebook group is amazing. And um, go, go down and chat to the guys at Harley-Davidson on Shakeside Road. I've been there a, a few times with some friends just to, to have a coffee, and, and the, the guys are, are, are really super knowledgeable. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm always straight talking. Um, I don't know anything about bikes. I wouldn't even know where to begin. I specialize in used cars, and that's where I put all my time and energy. Why do I, I, I really appreciate I really appreciate that. <laughs> it's not a no problem, sir. And keep up the good work. Brilliant. Well, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much for the for the call and and uh, and, and good luck with that one. Uh, now we're going to uh, a, a different kind of call. We have got Ewan on the line, and uh, Ewan, you're looking for some advice. Yeah, that's right. Uh, good morning, guys. The other way around, actually. Uh, so my son is going to be getting his first car soon, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, what he really wants is a Hyundai Veloster, but there's some resistance, not necessarily from my side, that maybe it's a bit on the small side. The preference is to get a slightly bigger car. Uh, thinking secondhand, around fifteen to 20,000 dirhams. So I wanted to get your advice on what would be uh, something that is in that kind of price range, secondhand, good in terms of maintenance um, and a relatively decent size, possibly SUV. Yeah, uh, for- 
there's some interesting options around for in that kind of range. Um, I think regardless of brand, first thing I'd be looking at specifically specifically for a first-time uh, car owner is something that uh, has dealer history and agency maintained uh, and, and maybe even a service package. Who knows? But uh, I'd be looking at that first before I start looking at uh, – at specific models and marks. Um, Matthew, what would you think for around about that kind of price range? Well, of course his son wants the, the uh, Veloster. <laughs> uh, we, we've, we've all, actually at some stage, we've all been on both sides of the fence. We've been, we've been the young guy wanting in the car. And it's really difficult because you have to balance it. He doesn't want to be in this boring, safe, reliable car with his friends, but you also have to protect him. So it's very, very difficult. I mean, you can... You know, at that price point, you're going to be limited, really limited, especially in this market right now. I know there's, there's not a huge around, amount around. I mean, you could go for something like um, you won't get a big SUV, but something like uh, even a Ford Escape would be uh, a, quite an, a good option. because I know that would fit into that price bracket. But, you know, you should also look at uh, some of the Korean brands like the Kias and Hyundais because they're slightly cooler than um, well, I, I think they would be. Um, and it wouldn't be as offensive as, as sticking your son in maybe something that he doesn't think is cool, like a Honda or something. So it, it's, it's very, very difficult. I, I would follow Damien's advice and say, whatever you end up going for, just get it checked out because, um, you know, you're spending fifteen to 30000 but you 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 know, to be very frank, your son's life is on the line there. So, you know, you want to make sure that you, whatever you buy is at least, um, well-maintained, and, and you do get a, a car inspection and get it checked out before you buy it. But I, I would sit down and talk to him and just say, look, you know, you're not going to get the coolest car on the planet at this price point, and we're not going to put you in a, in a zippy um, two-door coupe, but what we will do is try and find a compromise and find, someone, find something safe for you. Yeah, that's great. I mean, he's, he is kind of okay with the, with the SUV kind of thing. Um, and like the Kia Sportage, and uh, as you mentioned, um, possibly the Ford Escape, I think you said. Um, but I, I've always got concerns about American-built cars over here because the ACs tend to pack in quite easy and they don't tend to handle the heat. Is that a fair comment? Um, it's probably a little bit harsh. They're not too bad. I mean, the thing is with ACs that people don't do here is that they, they maintain oil changes and stuff, but they never get anybody to look at their AC. And, you know, constantly running it with low gas can put, uh, you know, a lot of pressure on the system, the compressor and the evaporator. So, look, for me, um, I, I'm, I've, I've owned several Fords here over the years. I, I recently just had a Ford Explorer, which I, I sold. So, look, I, I, I wouldn't say that's, that's that a bad thing or, or a concern for you. It, it's really down to the maintenance. Yeah. Okay, nice one. Well, appreciate it. No problems, uh, you and good luck with uh, good luck with that one. Uh, so now, Matthew, it's uh, it's it's speed quote time, and uh, you've got you've you've got you've got your finger on the pulse for this one. Yeah, I think I'm feeling good this morning. So <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna. We're going to go for this. Well, we've had a lot of callers that, that, that have come through today that we just ran out of time. We couldn't get through. So we've got, uh, we've got plenty here to challenge you. So uh, we're going to start this, and let's see how you go. Yeah, ready. Okay, 2018 Alfa Romeo Giulietta, bright red, 62,000 kilometres. 
Oh, I love that car. Um, around 80,000 in the market right now. Okay, Infiniti QX70 3.7. It's silver, 100,000 kilometres, 2016 model. A lot of kilometres for that car, but it'll sell well, 75,000. Okay, a 2012 Ford Explorer Limited is black, 180,000 kilometres. A lot of kilometres, but it's limited, probably around 35,000. Okay, a Toyota Sequoia Limited, 2017, 330,000 kilometres, but says it's in very good condition. Oh, that's too many for a 17. <laughs> um, should should be 150 if it had normal kilometres, but it's going to sell for 100 maximum. Sure, Honda CRV Touring, 2017, full options, 100,000 k. Again, that'll sell quickly, uh, around 75, 76,000. 2014 Ford Echo Sport, 156k. Uh, late 20s, 27, 28, I think. Oh, there we go. So that's uh, that's six for this one. Not too bad. There was a, quite a few words I threw in there as well, so you probably could have snuck another one in there. But uh, six, not bad for a Saturday morning, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. And now I can relax, enjoy my day, and get ready for qualifying later on. Yeah, well, you're on a you're, you've been on a roll with that one, and uh, yes, we got uh, we got qualifying, we got uh, practice three kicking off. I think it's six pm UAE, and uh, qualifying at seven pm UAE in Bahrain, and then we've got uh, we've got Saudi coming up next, only seven days away. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, we're we're truly blessed here in in the Gulf region with uh, even Qatar next year coming on board as well for 2023. You know, we've got. A lot of F1 circuits within a very short flight. Well, I'm hearing rumours that Qatar might actually step in to replace uh, Russia that's just been dropped. So that might be on the cards. We don't know yet because it'll be after the World Cup, but we'll see. But anyway, Matthew, thank you so much. Um, kick back on the couch this afternoon and uh, you'll hear a familiar voice calling it all for you. And uh, we'll speak in two weeks' time. I'll be tuning in. Take care.